buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. Welcome to The Sales Hustle, the only no BS podcast where we bring you the real, raw, uncut experiences from sales change makers across various industries. The only place where you can get what you're looking for to up your sales game. Today's episode is brought to you by SalesCast. SalesCast helps sales professionals transform the relationship building process and win their dream clients. I'm your host, Colin Mitchell. All right, what is happening, sales hustlers? Welcome to another episode. I've got a guest that I am excited to dive into the conversation here with you. I've got Ashley Early. And Ashley Early helps companies and sales professionals achieve sustainable growth by emphasizing empathy and humanity through science. Ashley, thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I am doing fantastic. I'm excited to jump into this conversation. Uh, but before we get into the good stuff here, just give us the short version of your sales story. Yeah, short version of my sales story is at the age of one, my mother took me to a to a photographer to get a one-year-old photo shoot. And the photo mm. that came out of it was me with a plastic phone. So I can literally say I've been hitting the phones since 1980 blank which I'm leaving out because I don't like saying my age. <laughs> um, in between then and now, um, was your classic kind of overachiever in high school, went to college, mm. ended up getting the completely relevant and practical degrees of political science and opera, graduated mm. at the height of the recession, had no clue what I was gonna do with my life, almost went broke. And at that point, my dad, who had been in sales his entire life, very forcefully tapped me on the shoulder and said, Ashley, it's time you need to get a sales job. Um, mm. And with that, kind of the rest is history. I started at um, some of the best tech companies in Silicon Valley. Um, I've gone through two IPOs um, with FireEye and Okta. And basically my whole career has been focused on pe helping people succeed in their first two to five years in sales, like actually one to five years in sales. So it's been a blast. I wouldn't change a thing. And yeah, it's been a lot of, lot of fun, fun lessons along the way. Mm, all right. So you started early on, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I'm curious when your dad told you, like, it's time to get a sales job. Did you do that kicking and screaming or were you like, okay, you're oh, yeah. right, dad? No, I was, I, I kicked and screamed, especially because I grew up with the first half of my life. My dad was your classic road warrior. So my dad was gone a mm. lot. He traveled a ton and I wanted my dad there. So I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to travel. I don't want that lifestyle. I'm never going to do it. And my dad was really successful. I didn't realize how successful he was until I got into sales. And I was like, oh my gosh, you were like really good at this. And you, like he was running teams of salespeople. He was running whole divisions at Oracle, like two letters down from Larry Ellison and working with Bill Gates at Microsoft and doing all this really cool stuff. I had no clue. Um, 
And so for me, it was the problem was the image I had in my head of salespeople was road warrior, hyper aggressive, Glenn Gary, Glenn mm. Ross, all the stereotypes. Even though I lived with someone who is none of those things, my dad is the biggest teddy bear you'll ever meet. And so when I finally got into sales, I was shocked, shocked, I say, to find that sales is all about relationship building and empathy and being a human. Um, I was really shocked um, when like my second or third day on the job, literally I was given like, here's Salesforce, here's a phone, you have New York, go sell 10 gigabit ethernet switches. I didn't even know what that was. Uh, well, that's how the set appointments. And I'm never gonna forget, I got some of my first meetings by one, screwing up and having to ask, mm. for, ask for a favor and be like, can I please try that again? I'm new. And two, by going full Star Trek nerd on phone calls with these CIOs and VPs of IT. So it was really a, a fun journey for me in sales by realizing that I, sold better, I was better, I hit my number more consistently, the more I leaned into who I am mm. versus trying to be this hard pushing, crazy, whatever thing I thought was required for sales. And my dad knew this the whole time. So he knew I'd jump in and be great. I just didn't. <laughs> so. All right. I want to, I want to dig into that a little bit. So, um, it sounds like sales was not what you thought it was. And you had some success through just being yourself and being human, right? And just not trying to be something that you weren't. Yeah. Why is that so hard for some people in sales? I think because it's always easier to imitate. It's yeah. always easier to be like, okay, I know if I do, a, B, C, D, E, I'll get the results. Yeah. So one, it's easier to follow a plan. Two, it feels much more personal when it's yourself. So when you're leaning in and you're using someone else's tactics, that's, oh, it's the tactics didn't work. Mm -hmm. If you're leaning in and it's your bad joke that falls flat, it feels like, oh God, I'm not funny. I'm a terrible person. What am I doing with my life? Why am I putting myself through this? And sales itself is so deeply personal. We, we're, we, we all know how hard rejection is. We all know we deal with rejection on a daily basis. It's a hard enough battle to separate that rejection from rejection of yourself as a person. I think potentially adding that onto it combined with the fact that there are stereotypes. There are huge mm -hmm. stereotypes. And especially if you are, I mean, to be blunt call, and if you're not a, a white guy, it can feel very unsafe to bring that part of yourself to the table. And I'm very lucky. The only thing I've really got about me that's a minority is the fact that I'm a woman. And that is something. But compared mm -hmm. to a lot of the, the black sales pros I speak with, the sales pros who sell from out of country or who come from, who don't have college educations or come from nothing, who have these crazy challenges they've overcome. Of course, you're not going to want to bring all of that to the table because everything in your life has taught you that it's not safe to do that. So it's it's a tricky thing and it's scary. And what I hear time and time again is once you find a place that A, respects you and values you for what you are as a salesperson and as a human, that becomes a lot easier. And once you're able to push through and really bring your full self, the fulfillment that comes from that is so empowering 
and not just like emotionally satisfying and empowering, which I can speak from from my own perspective, but also it shows up in your damn paycheck. So it's uh, fascinating. I love I love all of this. There's so many things I. I I experienced this, a lot of this firsthand myself, right? So I've been in yeah. sales over 10 years now. Um, yes, I'm, I'm white. So I mean, there's some advantages to that. I'm white male, right? But uh, I have no education. Um, I had a lot of challenges as a kid. And there was definitely parts of me that like I was not willing to share in, in a business setting and definitely not in a sales conversation and definitely not on social media for a long time. Um, and and once I got over that, sales became so much more enjoyable. I was so much more successful in the things that I was doing and the relationships that I was developing. Um, and so there's so many advantages once you can get over that fear of just being yourself. Um, and and I have I could probably honestly say I don't know about all, maybe all, definitely most. Any bad habit that I developed in sales was by trying to be somebody else by trying to mirror somebody else by trying to you know hey they're putting some numbers up on the board here's what they're saying here's what they're doing and then trying that and maybe there'd be some wins but like i picked up some really bad habits of like just really bad commission breath really treating people transactionally really um not being honest all the time um all of those stereotypes that you mentioned right and 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 at a certain point, even if you have some success in it, which you can, you, you just start to feel really gross. And then you're like, this is not working. Um, well, and it's, and to- there, there, come, there, there comes a point, I think everybody, I, I say this a lot, everybody has a number. Everybody mm-hmm. has a number that they would basically sell their soul. Like, I'll be honest, there is a number I would probably sell out some of my best friends it's a really high number that no one's ever going to give me because it would basically mean I get to go retire on a private island and never have to see anybody ever again and pay people to be my friends mm. or something ridiculous. But like that wouldn't even villain. be worth it. But that exactly. Wouldn't but even, even then, it's like, it. I don't even think yeah. I do it then. So, but when it comes to... You'd be a lonely rich to, person. <laughs> exactly, which I'm not interested in. And it's one of the reasons why it's been really interesting for me this past year as I've kind of moved from being um, a corporate sales leader to being an entrepreneur... I've had to become all the things I said I would never be. A lot of which is because of lifestyle and ethics and compromise I didn't want to make. Like I said, four years, I never want to found a company. I never want to be a CEO. I never want to be a VP of sales. It's it's too intense. It's too much work. I don't want it. And now here I am and I kind of love it. But it's it's this really weird thing though where it's, there comes a point where if you're sacrificing your happiness, you're sacrificing your mental health, you're sacrificing the lifestyle that you want to live because let's be honest, we work so we can live. I mean, I've got I've got thoughts on work life balance. That's a whole other episode. But if what you are sacrificing at work isn't compensated for in the life that you're living outside of it, the number's not there. You can't do it. It will break at some point. Like for me, it's a sort of thing where, like, just for like brutal example, like there are certain industries in the U.S. that if they were to approach me, they'd get charged a higher rate because if I'm going to do business with that company and enable this system that I don't like, I better make a heck of a lot of money out of it. And that number is probably going to be more than they're willing to pay because it's probably more value that I could bring to them. Just because I had mm. just have deep ethical issues with how those specific industries run. So, you know, you get to think of these 
these things. And we all go through this when we're looking for jobs too, you know, as a salesperson, it's like, okay, where we all, we always hear the ad, you can't sell something you don't believe in. Mm -hmm. You can, but the money better be really freaking good. And yeah. there aren't usually if you don't believe, and usually if the if the product isn't something that you believe in, the money's not going to be that good. No, no, uh, I, I definitely agree with that. So okay, so yeah, maybe everybody has a price. I, I don't know, but but then you're you're paying for it one way or the other, right? Yeah. Either either your either your your bottom line or you know internally. Um, so I, I'm curious, like for the people that maybe have gotten past this, you know, just being more human, being more themselves, being more authentic, being more genuine, all these things, right. That, that you hear a lot of people talking about now. Um, and they're in a shitty situation or maybe it's not the right company, not the right industry, or they're just in a rut. Like how do they get out of that situation? I think the first thing you gotta do is we have to accept as salespeople that we're all gonna get in these situations. I'm mm. so sick of, honestly, what kind of spurred this it, for me is I, I'm really sick of this reliance in the job search on quota attainment. I have heard so many people get screwed in the past year because they, because they left their last job when they were achieving 50% of quota or something like that. They had to. Whether they got, mm. whether they were let go because of poor attainment or they left because they could read the writing on the wall. But that number isn't reflective of performance. It's reflective of the reality in that territory or of that situation. We're coming, we're still in the thick of COVID. There are industries that just got decimated. If you could earn 50% of a, an event-based quota last year, I want to hire you. That's amazing. That you could get even 50% mm. is a freaking miracle. But they go into interviews and you've got hiring managers and you've got recruiters who are like, oh, well, this person only got 50%. Or worse, this person has to hide it on their resume. So it's a really weird situation. And I think the so, step one in kind of how to fix it mm -hmm. is we as an industry have to accept there are situations where salespeople are not set up to succeed natively. And we have to take steps to fix that to start either setting ourselves up to succeed or setting our teams up to succeed, even when they're in these shitty situations where the territory's bad, the economy went to heck, um, it's super oversaturated or there's no presence there at all. So you're building from scratch. Mm -hmm. There are a million ways that as salespeople, we can be set up to not quite fail, but to have a much harder road to climb than we realize when we're in the interview process. And you never know this stuff until you're in there. It's impossible to mm -hmm. know. Um, we all know it's the interviews of, oh, it's all inbound, your SDR gets you this many meetings and it's total greenfield and you get to pick your own account. Yeah. Nah. So I wanna look at, I wanna, I wanna peel this back to two, two different ways here. One from, from, from the sales, you know, the individual contributor perspective, right? You know, so maybe coming out of a shit situation where it was, you know, the quota was t way too aggressive. Uh, there wasn't, you know, the right leadership or support or they were promised, you know, the world and got nothing. Uh, whatever the case is, how do they how, how do they, you know, basically advocate for themselves without it feeling like, oh, they're just have a bunch of excuses, right? Yeah. So let's start there and then we'll shift to more 
what leaders can do. Yeah. I, I think, again, so kind of first thing comes with admitting you've got a problem. So step one is, okay, what is the problem? Um, whether it's, is it the territories oversold? Is it there's no support going into it? Is it that this, um, this particular region is a slower adopting region? Start by just identifying what the problem is. Mm-hmm. Second question is, is this problem fixable? And mm-hmm. really getting creative around, is it fixable? So if this is an, a re, if you're assigned a region and you're selling a tech solution that is a slower adopting region, okay, you can't make them adopt the technology faster, but you can adapt your language. You can advocate for yourself, maybe doing more educational events, doing more marketing warm up on your leads than you would need to do, say, in a coastal city which is mm-hmm. slightly faster mm-hmm. to adopt. They don't, maybe these people need a little more email warm up. They need a little more handholding and then try and think, okay, how would I solve this? How can I solve this? And then go and advocate for those things that you think you need to hit your quota. Okay. Now, so that's, that's how to advocate for yourself. If it, if it's a fixable problem or if you want to try to fix it, right? Yep. Now you were going to say something else, but so go ahead and continue before I ask, I have another question lined up for you. I was going to say, and the other, the other thing I'll say, whenever you're advocating for yourself, I always advise my, my clients, my uh, individual coaches and stuff like that. Um, people who I'm coaching to whenever you're making a request of your boss, present it like a business Mm -hmm. case. Mm. I want this. Here's what it'll cost. Here's the anticipated output. Here are the risks involved where it might go wrong. Here's the best case, worst case, likely case. Boom. Mm. Lay it out really in numbers form. I tell people to do this even for stuff that doesn't cost money. If it's like, hey, I want to try out this new script. Here's how long I'm going to try it. Here are the potential outcomes. Here's what I think is going to happen. And I'll give you this detail back. Are you okay with that? And you're basically just getting signed off. But with budget, it gets a little bit trickier, especially if you're looking Mm -hmm. for resources to support you, a new database, more marketing spend. You have to go at them with numbers. So figuring out in your CRM, Hey, do you have as many contacts as maybe some of the other patches? You know, what sort of pipeline, what sort of business has been done here in the past? What's the total market size in this patch? Pull your own data and then bring it to your boss. So it's going to be more work, but if you can do mm-hmm. this work on the front side, you're much more likely to get what you're asking for. Um, and I think, that, I don't know if this is the next thing you're going to ask for, but the next we got to talk about is if it's not a fixable problem. Yep. Yep. It's not a fixable problem. And the, yeah. the, the idea is to leave. How do you then advocate for yourself in the interview where it doesn't seem like you're making a bunch of excuses of why you didn't obtain quota? Basically, what I found works the best is own what you can in the situation. So, for example, if you are given a patch that's oversold, that you guys already have a ton of space in the market or whatever, you can go in and you can say, Hey, you know, I had a, it was, it was a really, you focus, focus on it. It was a great learning experience. I met a lot of really good people. It introduced me to some great dynamics in this patch. Some of the challenges I faced were we already had 80% market saturation. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have ex- pre-existing relationships with a lot of the accounts. So I was, I was building relationships at scale very quickly. So explaining owning what you owned and the other thing I think that's been really helpful for me as an interviewer when I'm interviewing people, I want to hear you own up to something. Mm. So even if it's, 
if you go in and say, you know what, I got a patch, it was really oversold, we did this, we did that, and you can list off everything went wrong, but then counter it with, and here's what I probably could have done that would have made a little bit of a difference. I could have potentially advocated better with my boss. I think I went to the excuse place a little bit too quickly and got misinterpreted. I wish I had gone to them with more data to back up what I was saying. I wish I had spent more time building deeper relationships. I wish I had done this, you know, list off the things you learn you would do better. And then, and I still don't think it would have made that much of a difference. The classic example I give people for this is, and I've told this story a ton, is um, the last, the second to last patch I had before I went into leadership was I had Manhattan and Queens um, selling uh, internet security or actually network security. And I had that patch in, <laughs> um, in October of 2000 and what was that? 2012, I think, 2012, mm. 2013, whatever the year Hurricane Sandy hit. Mm. So for two months, my patch and all my decision makers, half of their homes were underwater. And so I'm calling CIOs, I'm calling cell phones even back then. I'm like trying to get these people's attention. And my first question is, hey, are you and your family okay? And I'm, t I'm talking to people who are living on a FEMA trailers. A million, I mean, I, I, these are millionaires in a lot of cases, but they're living out of FEMA trailers. They've lost houses. They've dealt with a lot of really terrible stuff there. In some cases they had lost data centers and this doesn't work with COVID. So do, please don't start, please don't think I'm saying go out and start conversations with, are you okay? This does not work <laughs> in this era. This worked then. Too many but people we, have already tried that. And the whole fake ooh, empathy thing is that just worked a bad for about five minutes. In, that worked about five minutes for the first week of March last year. And then it was overdone. But, yeah. And people are still using it. Oh, I, yeah, no, please, please if don't. If you're one of those people, stop now, don't. immediately. God, you're, you're just <laughs> pissing people off. No, yeah. we're not okay. None of us are okay. Just own it and move on. Um, yeah. But what ended up happening was basically I'd start with these conversations, just quick empathy, and I, I stopped pitching. Mm. I just stopped pitching. It was, hey, I'm Ashley. I'm calling with this company. You okay? Great. All right. I'm going to call you back in a few months, and we'll talk about... Now, well, we'll talk a little bit more about network security and what we do. But in the meantime, I want you to know that because you took this call today, we're going to be donating $5 to the Red Cross. Boom. And basically, I got a, basically what I did was I got a little bit of money from my manager. And I got, I, I piggybacked, I slightly stretched the truth. I piggybacked in the fact that my company was making a giant donation to the Red Cross for mm. hurricane relief to begin with. So I, I stretched the truth a little bit. But that stuck. And so the moment Hurricane Sandy stopped, the, her, that, that quarter, Q4, I think I hit about 30% of my number. I just bombed. I didn't get put on mm. a pit because, duh, the company knew what was going on. But I also didn't get paid. So it was like, I was just kind of SOL. But two things happened there. That was a shit situation. Two things happened there. One... I was very vocal with my boss about what was going on and what I was hearing on the phones. And I came with data. <clears throat> I had this many conversations with this week. I had this many references to FEMA trailers. I had this many references to data centers that were trashed. I had this many references to XYZ. Literally, here's what's going on in my patch. I sent those weekly. So they knew everything that was going on week over week. Two, if there were meetings to be had, I got them. So where the way I've talked about that in, in meetings since and in interviews and stuff is two things. One, 
I defy anyone to get above the 36% I got. I milked mm. that for all it was worth without trashing the company. And as proof of that, the next quarter, I think I hit 210% of my quota. Mo about a good half of which were was me following up with the people that I connected with during Hurricane Sandy and just had that little moment of human connection and positivity. So when I called back, it's like, oh, you were the nice one. You were the mm. one who wasn't trying to pitch me when my house was underwater. Okay, mm. now you've got my attention that I can give some. Mm. So when I talk so about you that you're playing, you're, you're playing, you're playing the long, you're playing the long game. Yeah, and and you were being transparent with your with your leadership of of what was going on, and actually providing data to back it up so it didn't look like a bunch of excuses. Um, and, and I think those are some key things to take away from that experience for people, right? Any, anything else? The big thing is, I, I wanna be clear too, I'm lucky I knew that was something was gonna pass. I knew that was gonna be a few months. Mm -hmm. If you're in a situation where something is not transient, where something is probably not gonna change or where you go and you advocate for yourself and you're promised a solution and a month goes by, a quarter goes by, two quarters go, goes by and nothing changes, Businesses will always look out for businesses. You have to view yourself as a business owner and do what's best for your business as well. And there comes mm -hmm. a point where at some point in your career, you will have to make the tough call and it sucks when it happens. Um, I compare it to a really nasty breakup. I still, I still love you, but we are not healthy together. This is mm -hmm. not going to work. And I'm, and I got to say, like, I feel bad saying that because I'm the person who ended up marrying her college sweetheart that she met at 19. So I don't know what that's like, but I'm, but I've gone through those rough breakups with companies and every single time it's like full break, cue the breakup montage of the Ben and Jerry's at 2 a.m. and crying during Titanic and completely questioning everything in my life. And my husband looking at me from the other room being like, it's a job. What are you freaking out about? Mm. But there comes a point where you have to make those tough calls. And it, the reason why you have to make them is if you don't make them, your job will. And mm. then it'll hit you at a time when you don't expect it. For example... December 23rd, 2019, when I got laid off two days before Christmas. And then like the genius I am founded a company in January of 2020. It's been a fun year. Mm. If I had taken control and re and owned up the fact that, you know what, this situation is not working. I could have gotten a six month head start. And right. last year would have been a heck of a lot easier. But I don't know that I would have made the jump into entrepreneurship six months earlier. I wasn't ready. So everything happens for a reason, but owning up and being honest with yourself about this is not going to change and how can I build my business? What's best for my business in that long term? And you go into interviews and you talk about it like that. Any place that's going to say, oh, you're excusing or you're job hopping or something like that. And you're having that conversation. If they read that as job hopping, then they're either a not listening or B, that's not a company you want to work for. And that's something else a lot of salespeople need to get. We need to kind of get over this fact of, you know, any job is a job. No, there's a right place for you and there are wrong places for you. So yeah. going in and being honest about stuff like this. It, yeah, it, it's and I think it, I think it, that's I think that's the a... pool, but it's for but it's for a good reason. You can focus your time and your energy on the jobs that you're actually going to succeed in. Yeah, and I really like the way that you explain to frame that sort of conversation in the interview, right? So, you know, owning what you can and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, being honest and addressing it. Don't like, I mean, it, 
don't try to avoid it. It's going to come up. Yeah. So address it head on um, and, and sort of frame it in the way that you did where it doesn't come off as an excuse. So like, hey, I could have done this differently. Um, but, and then tying it back to like, you know, what the issues were and being really honest yeah. about that, I think is, is a great way to approach it. I want to shift gears a little bit and look at it from a different lens, right? So how, which, you know, this is part of the problem, right? So how do we, how as sales leaders, can they do a better job maybe with some different questions or not tying everything to like, you know, making higher decisions just based on who attained quota and, and who did. Okay. Real easy. Here we go. Here we go. Stop asking about <laughs> quota attainment. Stop asking about <laughs> stack rankings on teams, period. Stop. Does not matter. You can be a terrible sales rep in a killer patch and hit 110% of quota every quarter because that stuff falls in your lap. That person yeah. is not going to do well if you have to put them in a patch where they're going to be building. You need to know mm. who you're hiring, what their sales skills are. So that's what you focus your, your questions on. So ask questions about territory planning. Ask questions about challenges they had in their territory and how they overcame them. Ask them about what came easy. What were the strengths? Mm. What were the weaknesses? How do you evaluate? How do you plan? How do you process this stuff out? I would, as a sales, as a sales leader, I want pe I want people who know how to do their job or who are willing to be trained, depending on what level of seniority I'm hiring for. So keeping in mind all of that stuff, you can figure out like what you want is people say, okay, I want to, I want a history of history of top performer. Okay. So what you really want is someone who can consistently put get who can consistently get results quarter after quarter regardless of what's being thrown at them. That's not necessarily the person who got 150 210% the past year in that system. It might be the person who got 75 to 90% in another system. You have to evaluate the systems that they were in. So asking questions around did everybody have the same quota or was it dynamic quoting by territory? If everyone's on the same quota, then there are going to be good quotas and bad quotas. If they're on dynamic quotas, okay, then maybe it's a little bit more fair. Asking questions around maybe what percentage of team hit goal. Hey, you know, out of curiosity, your last company, what percentage of your reps hit hit their targets last year? Did everyone mm -hmm. hit, did no one hit? Now I have an understanding of how fairly or how well that leadership team set the quotas then maybe you can ask a little bit. So if everyone hits Unless quota, you're doing a good job and not asking those questions at all. Yeah. But you can, it's, <laughs> but, but really what it comes down to is context. You don't ask yeah. about quota attainment so you can gauge how well they will perform in your system. You ask about the context around their quota so you can judge the situations they've been in and based off that, be able to predict how they're going to react in your system, which is going to be different than anything else I've done before because every, every sales team is completely unique. So... Mm. Yeah. Okay. All right. There we go. Sales leaders, you have it. There's the playbook for asking the right questions in interviews and stop judging people about whether they hit quota with no context. Yeah, and if I'll say this, and if somebody comes in and it looks like they've missed or they're hiding the fact that they've missed, call them on it. What happened? Mm. Tell me about this. Don't just go, oh, they didn't hit quota. They didn't perform and just miss them you're gonna miss out on some of the best sales reps because I know sales leaders who will purposely put their best talent in the worst territories. So why would you, discount, why would you discount top talent 
because you didn't understand what that sales leader was thinking. You could be potentially ignoring huge swaths of people. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot there that if you just take a few minutes to unpack the context, all of a sudden you have a much better picture of the picture of the individual's performance than just looking at quota or just looking at millions driven and sourced and closed and timelines and these things. Those will, those are not relevant to your system. That's a different product. It's a different leadership. Why do we keep asking about a system that is irrelevant? Mm. All right. I really enjoyed this conversation um, topic that I think we can bring some more attention to, and, and I'm happy to do that here with you today. Thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I want to close it out. Before I go, you have something that you want to tell folks about. You have a course that's coming out that we want to give some love and attention. We will drop the link in the show notes. And any other final thoughts or anything else you want to let folks know? No, definitely. Just please connect with me on social. You've got thoughts. You think I'm wrong. You think I'm right. I'd love to hear about all of it. I love nothing more than a good debate. So on Instagram mm. at other sales coach, on Twitter, Ashley at work, which is a very obscure Star Trek reference, uh, LinkedIn, the usual methods. But um, de definitely, I'm actually really excited. Um, in March and April of this year, I'm actually launching a course with JB Sales, with the John Barrow sales team on pr the Practical Persona Masterclass. So if you want to learn how to kind of crawl inside your prospect's skin, not just to write better sales copy, but to actually to start predicting how they're going to react to what you're going to say before they say it, take a look. We'll drop the link in there. Um, it's been a lot of fun putting it together. It's the result of me literally teaching this stuff for 10 years. So come benefit from all the experience and the hundreds of people who I've been working up developing this stuff with. It's a lot of fun and it's super practical. This isn't going to be some document you're going to build once and never reference again. This is something you're going to be constantly leveraging for the rest of your career. I'm really excited uh, about love it. it. So, Yeah, I'm going to check it out myself and we will drop the link in the show notes. Ashley, thanks so much for coming on today. If you're listening to the podcast and you enjoyed today's episode, please write us a review, share with your friends. And as always, we're listening for your feedback. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Sales Hustle. Are you a sales professional looking to take your sales career to the next level? If the answer is yes, then I want you to go over to salescast.co. Check us out. And if you feel that you are ready set up a time to talk with me and my co-founder, Chris. I'm your host, Colin Mitchell. And if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave us a review and share the podcast with your friends.